In favor verses, then we'll get started. Uh, Jesus, thanks for this great truth that we are in you and that you are in us, the hope of glory. And we pray that as we come to it, as we uh, think about it and ponder it, that you would open our eyes to revel in it and to glory in it, um, so that in all things we might give you more honor and more glory and more praise. This in your name, in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so again, the topic is union with Christ. Um, so if you look at point number no. Union with Christ is basically um, in the New Testament. There's like lots of. Let me let me write down. There we go. I got some markers for you. Yeah. All right. Alright, this is our topic. Um, so this is basically this doesn't this phrase doesn't actually appear in the New Testament, but this the phrase like in Christ or Christ in you or you with Christ, that phrase comes up a lot of times. I think like over two hundred times in the New Testament. And so we're gonna be talking about this. And let me just give you a really basic definition that I found in a systematic theology textbook. Uh, union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. Um, Alright, so we're going to look at a couple different facets of union, and then we'll delve into it. So if you, if you have your Bibles, I'll just... That way we can still try to um, be on the same page. That'd be good. Good thing Meredith brought her Bible. <laughs> Alright, so point number one. The roots of union with Christ are in divine election. So uh, if somebody wants to turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I'll just have Eric... Wait, read Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Let's be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Great. So again, the union, the roots of union with Christ are in divine election. Um, as you could tell from Eric's beautiful voice, um, it says that God chose us in Him, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So not only did God elect people from eternity, He elects people in Christ from eternity. Uh, now that's kind of a little bit unclear, like, you know, what does that exactly mean? Uh, but what's important to note is that there was no election, there was no predestination uh, of the Father in eternity apart from Christ. There was no, none of that. Um, any questions so far? O other than predestination, I think, we're, well, like, I don't want to open that kind of worms yet. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's kind of fitting to go the other way around as well, as the roots of our divine election are in our union with Christ. It's not uncommon to hear people talk about election in the abstract, and they leave off, we are elect in Christ. So they think, they talk about choosing, 
And yet they forget about choosing in who that we're chosen in Christ. That, that's important as well. Roots of election are in, in, in our union with Christ. Yeah. We're chose, Christ is the chosen one, and then we're elected in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, any other questions about just we're going to go really slowly because, again, no notes and everything. Any other thoughts? All right. Um, the second point is that the basis of union with Christ is his redemptive work. So, somebody want to read uh, Romans 6 2 through 5? And then while somebody's looking up that, another person look up Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, just one more verse. Verse 5 for if we have been united with him in death, like this, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a res resurrection like this, like his. Thank you. And Ephesians two, four through six. Can we up to up through verse six? Oh. Sorry. Right. So both of these verses talk about how we have been baptized into Christ's death, or that we were buried with Him, that we were raised from the dead with Him. Um, in Ephesians, the passage that Rachel read, talks about how we have been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up with Him. We've been seated with Him in the heavenly places. And so we talk about how um, the basis of our union is His redemptive work. This basically says that redemption has been like fully secured and procured for us. That because of what Christ has accomplished, namely like His incarnation, his giving up his life as a ransom, his coming back from the dead, uh, that because of his merits, that salvation has been secure for us, like because we're in him. Um, somebody want to read Ephesians 1, 7? 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Um, and so this is all to say that we can never think of redemption as happening somehow apart from being united with Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no redemption. I think it was Calvin who said that all of Christ's accomplishments, everything that he uh, did is useless to us if we are separated from him, if we are not united with him. And so, everything yeah, of our union um, happens because of what Christ has already accomplished. Does that make sense? I don't want to um, derail So far, you've been talking about union in terms of what it does. But can you give us a better sense of what, how, what it is? Like, what does it mean to be in? Like, I never think of my relationship with, let's say, Tommy. I don't say Tommy's in me. I'm in him. What does it mean to be in? What's the in? What are we in? Right. Um... Is, is there like metaphors of the Bible? Get well, for example, in Roman Catholicism, it's actually metaphysical, not ontological. Can, can you explain what that means for the? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that, it means that's going off the beaten path. Well, no, well, because it's very much in contrast to a, a Calvin's understanding of union with Christ versus Rome, which is uh, you ontologically, you biologically have Christ in you because grace is a is a stuff, and you consume this stuff by faith and by eating the sacrament taking the sacraments therefore the union with and the end is not metaphorical it's not covenantal it's not it is actually biological it's metaphysical and that sounds strange and, and but that's that's how they think of it and that's it so that come out of the medieval thinking of union with Christ and it's quantitatively it's you accumulate this union by continually uh, eating Christ literally the body and so that's how it's, you accumulate more and more union with Christ and that sounds very very strange but that's I mean that's sort of Calvin's doctrine of union with Christ is in opposition actually, actually to that so I think it, what Mike was asking is, so what is the nature of this union what is the nature of this in well I think that's interesting I mean aside from Roman Catholicism I mean uh, that, 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 that explanation, which is like, for example, a baby is in the mother, right? A baby, so physically in, is that, is that what you're talking about? Are we, are, is, is, are we inside Jesus' big belly? Uh, <laughs> no. No? Okay, yeah. what? Jesus isn't. Well, if you look at the next point. <laughs> The next one, uh, we're gonna, we'll get to like some of the more biblical metaphors in just a minute, but I'm just trying to lay out like a basic framework of how to understand it, and then we'll look at some of the uh, metaphors in the Bible. Um, so the third point is that um, the actual, actual union, my hand right a little bit, sloppy. Um, I'll just read it for us. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so 
it's interesting that Paul says that even though, like a chapter earlier, he says that we were in Christ, we were chosen in Him before the foundations of the world. He says in the very next chapter, he says that you were at that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were at one time um, strangers to God, without God, without hope. And so, even though um, there's some kind of union that happens, we were like, in, in in one sense of the word, baptized with Christ. We were buried with Him. We were crucified with Him. We were raised with Him. Um, in the actual sense, um, what actually applies to us, we were at one time separated from Him. And so the way we grow in our union with Christ is by the Holy Spirit. It's it's not like there's this like I don't know big Jesus and we're like in his belly or that he there's like a miniature Jesus living in us, but it happens um, by the Holy Spirit. And just to emphasize that First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen. Anybody? I'm glad you guys have your iPhones. You can like very quickly. <laughs> find the passage as opposed to shuffling through. 12, 13. 12, 12, and 13. I have it. 12, 12, and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body. Jews were Greeks, slaves were free, and all were made to drink one spirit. Right, so it talks about how we were, uh, by one spirit, we were drink of one spirit, we were baptized into one body. And so the way this actually plays out, or the way we actually experience it, is by the Holy Spirit working in us, by uniting us to Christ. Um, And so, do you want to repeat your question one more time? So the Holy Spirit... But that still doesn't explain why the New Testament writers choose that preposition in. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why not just say the Holy Spirit allows us to know Christ? The Holy Spirit allows us to have Christ. The Holy Spirit allows us to have a relationship with Christ. But why does it say in? In. Like, is it like I live in Oakland? Is it like um, I live in my house? What is the in saying? Is what I'm asking. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> in, so. in, like in liberation or Marxist theology, where <laughs> Obama comes from, this in is political. It's purely political. So just like, so it has to do with political solidarity. So like the Republicans are are, 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 are in solidarity politically, or the Democrats or the communists. And so they, they completely politicize it to where our, our in Christ is purely political. It's a political solidarity. So that's sort of a, dip, a twist on it. So what, what's Paul getting at with this in or with? Or maybe a, another way to ask it is the opposite of in is out. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. What does in mean? Um, so maybe I, I think I, tr- uh, I should have said this at the outset that... Um, yes. <laughs> that this is like a... First of all... Um, a mystical union. Some people describe it as a mystical union with Christ that uh, it's like not fully comprehensible, that it's there is some mysterious elements to it uh, that we won't fully comprehend it. But uh, it's, again, like a way to describe um, 
the phrase that comes up over and over and over again, that we are in Christ. And so there's lots of different uh, metaphors that the Bible uses, and so we'll just, we'll just go with that instead of what's happening here. Um, so one example is in Ephesians 5, um, verses 20 to 23. Marriage, your sermon, your sermon series. And I encroach on my territory. And I'll, I'll try not to. Uh, somebody want to read that? I don't have it in front of me. Twenty Is it 32? that the Bible uses to describe this union is the union that happens between a man and a woman where they become where the two leave their father and mother and create one new flesh they cleave to one another or hold fast to one another right um, that in the same way that somehow Christ and the church um, that we have become one or uh, that we are united that um, Christ is our bridegroom the church is bridegroom Sticking with that, it's a metaphor, but a metaphor of what? So you have you have Miss Mr. Smith and you have Miss Miss Jones, and somehow Miss Jones becomes Mrs. Smith. How does how does Miss Jones become Miss Miss Mrs. Smith? Is it is it an ontological change, or is it? I mean, think if you think about this, because I think Paul's using the language here purposely, but it points to something else. What yeah, I guess I guess what Eric is saying is like. What happens in a marriage that is a great metaphor to explain what happens with our connection to Christ? Exactly. Yeah. Like what happens between a husband and a wife that Paul is all like so excited about and saying that's 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 union with Christ. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think? Right. We're challenging you. Stretching There's mind. one, There's one right. I don't want to give it to you, I want you to think it out. Yeah, think There's it out. One really good word. You're, you're there. A, a, a covenant. Yes! Yes. 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 Uh, the idea that we are united in a covenant, that God in His covenant faithfulness um, unites Himself to us by the Holy Spirit, brings the church into union with... But I mean, like, in terms of practicality between a husband and wife, what happens between the two of them? That is a good... Like, do they just room together? <coughs> I feel like you want me to say sex, but... <laughs> yeah. it's, more, it's more than... It's more than sex. Um, it's it's like it's like for example, in any good marriage, like you're checking in, 
let's say you get married to now, you know, Mrs. Eric. And then, you know, let's say she has debts. What happens to those debts? Oh, right. So you're saying that, like, all of Christ's possession now become ours, that we get to share in um, all of his, I don't know, uh, possessions. That all of the benefits of salvation are applied to us, that Christ obtained are applied to us because we are united with them. Is that one answer that you might give? Oh, okay. Um... I think the, really the, I, the, the key to it all—it really is understanding the covenant, the nature of the, the nature of the covenant. Because once once the husband and wife have said "I do," they don't become more husband and wife later on during during the honeymoon. Their 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 union is is, is much then as it will be that, that one of them dies. You know, they, they live a hundred years. They are any more in union later than they are from that moment. So the covenant really is is, is the key to understanding the nature of the union. Not metaphysical, not political, not ontological, not geographical, sure. like being in Oakland or something like that. It really is covenant. I mean, there's another metaphor. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, we could. Let's talk about that. Um, somebody want to turn to John 15 verses 4 through 5? a little bit earlier about the mystical union that like, kind of how one way of understanding one metaphor that the Bible uses um, to describe this union is of a marriage um, and the one that Meredith just re- read was ta- is using to describe an organic union that happens um, between us and Christ that uh, in the same way that vines and branches that's what it uses right yeah the vine and the branches are organically connected um, that our union is in a way similar to that. And so the reason why this metaphor is helpful is because um, it's not about us holding on to certain doctrines or it's not about us being able to like believe certain things. It's not about um, us like trying to attain like some cold metallic substance called holiness, but Union happens as we, in a living relationship, connect with and interact with and become more and more like Jesus through our union with Him. Should we keep talking about more metaphors? Um, Well, I mean, can you um, explain that metaphor a little bit more? Yes. Uh, Is there something that's particularly unclear? About the Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a terrible biologist. 
So can you explain what's that? How does that work? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, I mean, is it like Legos where like you attach, you know, bits? How does that I have no idea. I'm a, actually, Eric, you, okay. you're like a, you're like a wine expert, right? How do vines work? And viticulturists. Uh, I mean, the culture is in the right. Well, I guess the, the difficulty is in, in, in metaphorical language, if there's no continuity, no similarity between that which it's depicting and that's in the reality, then it has no meaning. On the other hand, you can take a metaphor too far to where you're getting taken with too, too, too literal. So the question is, so what is the nature of this organic union? Um, and he's, and that, that, that there's a similarity between engrafting a wild, uh, and a, or as, as Paul uses in, in Romans 11, a wild branch of the organic, or the native, uh, or using this engrafting of this divine of course. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't even think I understand the nature of the organic union. There is a, mm -hmm. a bit of a mystery to it. So if a stick falls off the tree, what's going to happen to it? Dies. It shrivels up, it dies, it grows, I don't know, brittle, and it can easily break. Uh, but the metaphor that we see is that somehow, this is not a vine, by the way, this is just a tree. I, could, I don't know what vines are, but, uh, but somehow that this branch is connected to this tree or vine, just use your imaginations. Um, it's not like it's not like uh, Michael was saying, right? Like a Lego piece, or it's not like we're somehow glued. But that the life-giving, like stuff from the roots, sap somehow enters into us. Okay. We don't want to take that analogy too literally or too far, but uh, that that life comes into the branch, and because of that, it can bear delicious fruit. So in that sense, it's organic. It's um, life. It's not inorganic. Well, to understand the metaphor, um, if, for example, in the United States, when the, when they first settled the United States, the wild grapes that were growing here that they tried to use for sacramental wine uh, produced a really skunky flavor to it, so they didn't like it. So they brought over uh, French and European uh, grapevines, and they began engrafting them. Um, two different genus of grapevines. And so what you do is you take a live um, vine, you cut a sliver off, you then cut into the, the living, uh, whether it's an olive, like in Romans 11, or a vine here in John 15. You then, and then they, it's two living things put in together, but it's not a dead branch putting into a living, living vine. So that's nature. There's actually sort of a cutting of one, a cutting of the other, and then the two are joined at the parts, at the, at the point where they're cut. Where did we get that? Uh, but if you were to remove it, that's the result you would get. Hey, so Eric, um, so does that mean that the vine, like the branch that's uh, grafted in, does, if the branch were, I mean, Eric, is it, is it the case where, like, if the branch were producing a certain kind of grape, 
and then it's attached to a different vine that produces a different grape? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of grapes that are, uh, for example, Sauvignon, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is Cab Franc combined with Sauvignon Blanc, and then you get Cabernet Sauvignon. So yeah, then it produces a whole other fruit. So it changes the, the branch itself. Yeah, yeah. But the vine stays the same. Right. I can illustrate this. So let's say that we were once part of this evil tree and our fruits were uh, producing malice, evil, hatred, bitterness, jealousy, all these things that somehow we've been cut from that and that we've been grafted into, to use that same language, um, into this tree which is Christ that we've been grafted into and that we're united with him um, and thereby the life that comes into us is no longer this like uh, evil life right of the world of sin of our sin nature but that um, now our nature is in Christ and, the, and so because of that we bear fruits of good fruits like righteousness or love joy peace or like to use those um, so that's again like another just metaphor of describing the same thing which is this way of this thing that we're in Christ and Christ is in us alright so I just want to I just want to touch on um, why this might be important for us and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, in this, let's see. So just two things we'll talk, touch on. Uh, the, the fact that we are, first of all, justified in union with Christ. And we've been talking a little bit about this, but somebody want to read... First Corinthians five twenty one. Maybe I got this wrong. Um, let's go to Philippians 3.8 then. 3.8 and 9. of our own but gain Christ and be found in him that because we gain Christ and are found in him that that is what uh, produces justification or righteousness uh, that we're not again made justified or righteous because um, we try to 
do anything or Christ is, doesn't come into us so that we can become our own saviors as we become good, but that as we are found in Him, that that is what, uh, first of all, justifies us. And this is something that I assume that most of you guys would know. Uh, but this, I want to set that up so that we can talk a little bit about just the last point about being sanctified through union with Christ. Um, so can one last person read 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Um, so the way Paul, oops, so the way Paul talks about our sanctification, like in this case, he's talking about um, there's people in the Corinthian church who are or having like sex with prostitutes, um, and the way he talks tells them not to do it isn't by saying like stop doing it. It's by saying you are united with Christ. You are members of Christ. Um, he lays down the he 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 lays down the. He tells them that you're united with Christ. And because of that, that that is what should cause us to strive towards holiness. Not, uh, he doesn't say, stop sleeping with the prostitute so that you can be in Christ. He doesn't say, stop doing those things so that you can become righteous. He says, you are righteous. You are members of Christ. You are joined to the Lord. Therefore, don't make your members joined with a prostitute. I think that's kind of like one of the key things to understand that union happens um, before or union is the thing that enables us to live. That because we're united with him from eternity and we didn't get to this but because we'll be united with him throughout eternity from eternity to eternity um, that that is what gives us like strength and encouragement and um, the ability to keep living. I think it's really interesting that Paul says you're not just united with Christ, but if you go visit a prostitute, you're united to the prostitute. And so it's not like you just do sin. There's union. He uses union language even with sin. And so... It goes both ways, right? You're either united to Christ or you're in bed with sin. In fact, it's worse worse than that because he says you're uniting Christ with a prostitute. Yeah. It's even worse than that. Exactly. So I think union language is really all-encompassing because it describes not just our salvation, but it describes our situation with sin. I think that's that's really powerful because... um, 
when I think about my union with Christina, I don't want to be united with somebody else. That would be deeply offensive and horrible. Um, but that's what sin is. And so, it gives us a new motivation, I guess, or a different way of thinking about sin. Can you elaborate on that? Sin is not just breaking a rule, right? Um, but sin is going to bed with somebody else other than Christ. Sin is like attaching your branch tentacles to another tree rather than the real tree. In sacramental language, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul uses the, the, the nature of two cups, a cup of Christ, a cup of blessing, and a cup of demons. And you can't drink from them both. Because you're either in covenantal union with demons through their cup, or in covenantal union with Christ through his cup. You can't do them both. So even if like in, we are baptized and Christo in Christ, uh, we are partaking of to the sacrament of Christ. But it's not metaphysical, like the Catholic is more political. It's coming into it. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you guys, well, so yeah, um, union with Christ, it should it, it, that a proper understanding of it. Um, should help us to see um, that we are in this covenant with God, that He has uh, brought us into the fold, that He has grafted us into Himself, and that will give, like, understanding that will help us to, um, yeah, not be united to the sins. Uh, to it'll give us power to mortify our flesh. It'll give us uh, encouragement and uh, perseverance that we are eternally united with Him. That there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing. Uh, that we've done uh, that can separate us and so the degree to which we feel dirty or guilty or condemned or unworthy is the degree to which we um, don't fully understand our union with Christ so uh, with that let me just close this in prayer so we can worship Father we thank you for this great uh, mystical truth that we are united in Christ and with Him because of Your great covenantal faithfulness. We pray that as we come to Your Word in the days and weeks to come, that we would see see this great truth and that our hearts would glory in it, so that in all things we would be able to love You more and yeah, be able to bear fruit for You more and more. In Your name, we pray. Amen.